Today we continue our series in characters of the Old Testament. Today we're going to look at Abraham. Abraham is an immensely important character and person uh, throughout, throughout the Bible. He's the, uh, the father of the Jewish nation. So we're going to look at Abraham. If you haven't figured out by now, we're not going in any particular order. It's just however I felt like it when I made it. So we're kind of going back and forth. And we were at Jonah. Now we're at Abraham today. And so we'll be in the book of Genesis. Most of you are going to start in Genesis chapter 12 if you'd like to turn there. If not, it's fine. We'll have it up here on the screen for you. But again, Abraham is an important character for us as Christians and, it's, and, and an important character for, our, for the Jewish faith, obviously. He's the father of, of this nation of Israel that, that God's going to build leading up to and pointing to the Messiah, this Jesus. And so we're going to look today at, at Abraham. He starts in the Bible being known as Abram before it's Abraham. And we'll see where that name switched and why later on during the sermon. So Genesis 12, chapter 12, verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abram gets a very unique calling. God comes to him, and the first thing God says is, I need you to go. I need you to leave everything you've ever known, your country, your people, your family. Uh, if you've ever done this, if you maybe left after you graduated high school and you went and got a job or you went to school, or something, that's a big step, right? When you leave everything you've ever known, especially for those of us maybe who grew up in a small town and we've, we know everybody and everybody knows us. When you go and you leave and you go somewhere else, it's, it can be frightening. And Abraham is asked to do that by God. I want you to leave everything you've ever known, your comforts, your support system, all those people that you love. I need you to go. The promise comes with that going, right? God says, if you go, this is what I'll do for you. God says, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God even says, I'll defend you, right? I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God gives them somewhat of the reason, right? He says, I need to turn you into a nation all of all your own, you don't need to, to be what your father was or your grandfather. Ended. I need you to, to be something different. And remember that when God asked Abraham to do that, he also was asking him to, to leave how he used to worship. He says, I need you to leave all those old gods that you used to worship. I need you to leave them behind because we're going to do something brand new with you. It's a bit frightening, you can imagine, for Abraham and his, or Abram at this point and his family. And he has a decision to make. Do I, do I go? Do I do what God asked me to do or do I... Do I stay? Now, last week we looked at Jonah. And what did Jonah choose? God says, Jonah, I need you to go, right? And what does Jonah do? He goes, right? But he runs the other way. He tries to run from God. Terrible idea, but he tried it, right? So Abraham has a choice to make. And what does he do? Verse 4. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. If you've ever moved any distance before in life, it's not much fun, right? Stacey and I had moved about 10 hours away, and you never knew you had so much stuff until you put it all in a U-Haul, right? You didn't know where all this stuff's been all these years, and Stacy was pretty good about cleaning it all out. Abraham must take everything. He has 75 years of living in this place. He has his family. He has servants, he has children, right? He has all that stuff, and he, 
and he has to go. And all God has told them is what he's going to do in the future, right? It doesn't say, hey, this is where I want you to go. He says, I just need you to go. I need you to trust me. And that's a lot for any of us to do. I want you to think about the times in your life when you maybe felt God calling you to do something. It can be as simple as helping uh, a neighbor or someone in need, or it can be something as big as, I need you to uproot everything you've ever known in life. I need you to change. I need you to go. But the difference we had between Jonah and Abram is what? Jonah, we looked at last week, he refused. And what did God do? God got his attention, and he ended up going, didn't he? But look at Abram. What's he do? Right from the get-go, it just says, hey, obedient. I'm going to be obedient. Now, as you're going to see, Abraham is not a perfect person. And that's what I believe one of the reasons the Bible is so compelling is it paints both its heroes and its villains in, in honesty, right? It shows us the, the, the failures of, our, of its greatest heroes. And Abraham's going to have a couple of those. But not here. He's listening. He's being obedient. And he goes. The story continues a few chapters later in chapter 15. Abram's gone and he's, some things have happened. And Abram is, is calling out to God here. Because remember the promise that God gave him. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing to everybody on earth. And Abram's asking kind of about that, that blessing. And it says this in chapter 15. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one you will, that will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And verse 6 is, is incredibly important in the history of Ju the Judeo-Christian movement of our faith. Verse 6 says, Abraham believed God, and he credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's going, okay, hey God, you promised you'd bless me. You promised you'd, that all the world would be blessed from me, but I've had no kids. I've had, I have no heir. I have no son to pass everything on to. How am I going to be a blessing to the world if my name's going to die with me? And God says, it's not. And he takes him outside and says, look up, at the, look up at the sky. So see all those stars? Could you count them? Of course, the answer is, for us is by hand, no. He says, see all those stars? That's how your offspring will be. Now, Abram's, at this, this point, he's, I mean, he, he moved at 75, right? And so he's probably in his 80s at this point. And he's thinking, God, are you sure? Are you sure? Any of you 80-year-olds in here really excited to have a kid right now? Probably not, right? No, thank you. And so Abram's going, God, I, I don't know if you know this, but things don't work like they're supposed to when you're in your 80s, and I'm not sure this is going to happen. But all the physical side, all the normal side, all the laws of physics aside, verse 6 happens. Abram believed the Lord. And credit to him as righteousness. For those of us who geek over the Bible all the time, this is the first real place where someone has what we would call faith. Belief. Abraham puts his faith, puts his trust, puts his belief in God, and God credits to him as righteousness. 
Now that's really, really important. Because you and I, our righteousness, the Bible tells us, is that of filthy rags all on our own. But there's someone who's going to come. He's one of Abraham's seed who's going to give you and I righteousness that doesn't belong to us, right? And that person is Jesus. And as we read Genesis 15, we realize that there's in this story, especially in verse 6, there's already the, the foundation being laid for the idea that our righteousness comes by faith. Comes by our belief. Doesn't come of our own. If it's our own righteousness, we're all in some serious trouble. And that foundation is being laid right here in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. That faith and righteousness are tied to each other. The story doesn't end, obviously. It's just beginning. And so we jump to chapter 16. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now God has promised them an heir. And they're getting impatient. Never happens to you or me, right? Never happens when God says he might do something and we just like say, well, God, that's great, but can you hurry it up a little bit? Now the promise came to Abraham when he was 75 and he's now 86. You guys are pretty good at math. It's been 11 years since the first promise came. And they're getting impatient, going, okay, this isn't, God promised it would happen, but it's not happening the way we thought it would. And so they come up with their own plan. Now, that's, that's not a good plan. So Sarai, Abraham's wife, has an idea. Well, once you take Hagar, you sleep with her, and you have, have a child, and then that will be the child of the promise that God's promised to us. And this story should sound familiar to us if you've read Genesis. Remember how the whole thing began. God creates Adam, puts him in a garden, says you can have anything you want to eat in here except this fruit from this one tree and then he creates Eve because Adam's a knucklehead all by himself and needs someone to guide him and protect him and keep him safe and make sure he takes the garbage out and so he has creates Eve right to, to be his partner and Eve takes from the fruit she eats and gives it to, to Adam and that knucklehead eats too right and then we have the fall it's very familiar to this story because look what happens here it's Sarah's, Sarah's idea right she says, hey, let's, let's do this. And we read at the end of verse 2 that Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Sounds familiar, right? Now this is not the, te- the, the Bible passage you want to use, guys, to say this is why I can't listen to my wife, right? This is, that's not going to get you very far. It's not going to work very well. But she has the idea, and Abram goes along with it. Verse 3, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband. To be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, guys, this is the time where you don't make eye contact with your wife, right? <laughs> because it's Sarai concocts the idea, right? And now that the idea happens and it actually is fulfilled, she blames Abram, right? Like, I can't believe you would do this. He's like, wait a second, what? Like, you thought this thing up? Like, but I'm sure he kept his mouth closed because he enjoys living. So, <laughs> Verse 5, it is pretty humorous, right? That now he's responsible for, for her suffering when it was her plan all along. This wasn't the way God had planned it, guys, if you, if you haven't figured that out by now. And when we get off base and we get off track and we do our own thing, this is what's sure to follow. 
is suffering. When we leave God's will and we do it our way, because we're not patient enough to wait for God, then we've been there before, right? We've all done this time and time again, probably yesterday or this week sometime. We went and we did it our own way, because we think we know best, instead of listening to God, and what happens? Sure enough, it goes sideways in a hurry. And this goes sideways in a hurry. Now you have a pregnant servant girl who despises Sarai, and Sarai despises her because now she's jealous of her. This is a, it's a mess. It's a mess because this is not how God had planned it. The story continues in verse 15 of chapter 16. It says, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So now we have a son. That's not the son of the promise, not the son that God had promised them. It's the son that they had concocted in their own little plan. And we have some great tension happening in the family, obviously, now. We pick up the story in chapter 17. It's a time has passed now. He was 86 then, and now he's 99. See, when God gives us a promise, he doesn't give us the timeline to the promise. So Abram received the first hint of it, right, when he was told to go, to leave. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make all the nations. At 75 years old, he's 99, and the promise hasn't come true yet. So we can make fun of Abram and Sarai for coming up with their own plan, but we're not that patient either, are we? We're not going to wait 20-something years. We're not going to wait 20-something days most of the time. We don't, we're not that patient. But God comes to Abram at 99 years of, of age and says this, that the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you, and I will surely bless him, and I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. See, God gives the promise, and he's going to fulfill the promise because God always fulfills his promise. Now we see in this section that there's some name changes. Now anytime someone's name changes in scripture, it's a time to pay attention, right? Think about the New Testament. You have this person named Saul, and who's he turned into? Turned into Paul, right? We see this throughout the Old Testament, and this is one of those examples. Anytime someone name cha- God changes someone's name, he does it for a reason. I'm trying to get them to understand something new is going to happen. Now I believe, and you can believe something different maybe, but I believe God makes Abraham and Sarah wait all this time because he's trying to get them to, to learn something, that it's not through their power, it's through his. Because a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old have no business having a child, right? We all know that. 
doesn't make any sense physically. And the reason God has them wait is so that they know it's his power, not their own. It's through God that this is going to happen, not through them. They're just the tools. They're just the vessels of what God has up his sleeve. And so they wait. And this happens in chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Of course he did. He always has and he always will. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God had brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, that I have borne him a son in his old age? It's through God, right? Abraham is 100, Sarah is 90 when they have this child, only because of God. Now, the story would be pretty cool if it just ended right there. We know Isaac, and we know what happens afterwards. But something really strange happens in verse 22. Now, verse 20, or chapter, excuse me, chapter 22. Chapter 22 is its own sermon. I actually have a sermon for us, but we're just going to go through it real quick. Because it takes a turn, Abraham's story does. You stop there, the movie ends, right? Speaking of our Hallmark movie, right? Janine talked about it earlier. Our Hallmark movie would be great to end right here. The promise has happened, the sun is here. And who wouldn't be rejoicing with them? But it doesn't, and it takes a weird turn. Hallmark isn't going to make this story, I promise. In chapter 22, right, the, the, Isaac is born in chapter 21. The next chapter of the scriptures, God asks Abraham a really, really strange question. He's going to test Abraham to see, to see what he's really made of. And in chapter 22, God asks Abraham to do something. He asks no other person in Scripture. Matter of fact, he actually condemns this everywhere else in Scripture. God tests, tests Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, who you've been waiting all these 25 years for, essentially, right? I want you to sacrifice him on a mountain I will show you. Now, you're Abraham. You're thinking, wait, What? Like, God's gotten schizophrenic all of a sudden. I waited all these 25 years for the son to be born, now God wants me to kill him. This isn't adding up, right? This doesn't make sense. But you know what Abraham does? Scripture tells us. He goes, and he listens. God says, take your son, your only son to Moriah, and sacrifice him there. And Abraham gets up early the next morning, loads the donkey, cuts the wood himself, and he takes Isaac, and they go on this journey. The journey lasts three days, which I find not a coincidence, right? Someone else did something in three days, if you remember. On the third day they get there, and the servants that have gone with them, Abraham stops them at the base of the mountain and says, you guys stay here, it's just going to be Isaac and me going up there, right? Because he knows the servants are going to try to stop him. This doesn't make any sense. So Abraham and Isaac, they get the wood, they have the knife, and the fire, and they head up the mountain. And Isaac asks his father, It says, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, Abraham says, yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, who's going to be the lamb? Isaac. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them continue up the mountain. When they get to the mountain, Abraham ties Isaac up, the wood under him, ready to offer him as a sacrifice. And the angel of the Lord appears and stops him. He says, no, 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 don't do it. He says, 
and Abraham is able to look behind him and there's a ram caught with his horns in the thicket and he's able to take him and sacrifice him. The whole story is bizarre when you read it because it just doesn't make sense. And this is what the angel of the Lord says to Abraham after he stops him from killing his son. He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham returns back down the mountain with Isaac. The story is somewhat bizarre because God despises human sacrifice, right? We see that in the Old Testament. It's not something God does. See, the plan was that God was never going to let Abraham offer Isaac. But he tested him, saying, Abraham, who do you love more? You love the son. And the only, remember, the only reason he has the son is because of, of God. He says, who do you love more? Do you love the son more or do you love me more, Abraham? And Abraham, sure enough, shows that he loves God more. Now, the author of Hebrews actually tells us what was on Abraham's mind. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, what we learn from Abraham is that faith matters. That trusting, that belief, it matters. We began the story with a revolutionary idea that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then we see that belief put into practice as Abraham takes his son up the mountain. Now there's something really neat about that story of Abraham and Isaac going up that mountain. Most scholars believe that the mountain of Moriah will later become Jerusalem. And see, so Abraham is playing out something that's going to happen a few thousand years after him, doesn't he? Or Abraham, God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and take him up the mountain and sacrifice him there. The journey takes three days. Sound familiar? See, on that mountain later on, God has to take his son, his only son, and sacrifice him there. He spends three days in the grave. And then Abraham, we read in Hebrews, Abraham believed that God could even do what? Could even raise Isaac from the dead. And three days later, on that mountain, God does what to his son? Brings him back to life. The story of Abraham is extraordinarily important for you and I as Christians because Abraham gets to act out the sacrifice of Jesus thousands of years before it actually happens. He does that. Only reason God does that and uses him, though, is because he has great faith. Abraham makes mistakes. He's found an error. He's not perfect, but he has faith. And God asks the same of us. Don't have to be perfect. Don't have to have it all together. Just have faith. Just believe. Just trust. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the example Abraham gives to us it means to be someone of faith, someone of purpose, someone who's willing to, to lay everything on the line to follow you and what you ask of them. 
Father, help us to be more like Abraham when it comes to, to faith, to trust, trusting you with everything we have, knowing that when you say go, we need to go. When you say stay, we need to stay. That when you promise us something, that you will see it through, even if it takes decades. And so help us to be patient when we hear from you and your promises. God, we thank you, and we love you, and thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who was sacrificed on that hill, on that mountain, for our sins. So they could be forgiven. They could be wiped away as if they had never, ever happened. And we're thankful, God, that he came back to life three days later, giving each and every one of us the hope of life everlasting spent with you. Father, we cling to that hope now and forever. We, We await the day where we see you face to face. We pray all this in the powerful and healing name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen.